Good evening, and welcome to the Midnight Owl. I'm your host, Tim. This podcast is proudly a part of the Not After 30 Podcast Network. You can contact the Midnight Owl on Facebook on the Not After 30 Podcast group, on Instagram, the Midnight Owl Podcast, and if you have a story to share, beardedandboard at gmail.com. Good evening and welcome to the Midnight Owl. I'm your host, Tim. This week's episode is about an urban legend, Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Yeah, I'm not going to say it a third time. had were unpleasant. Once I saw a spirit walk through a wall to the adjacent apartment, a lost soul looking for an old friend. I've experienced the terror of sleep paralysis, waking unable to move to a woman standing in a corner. I wasn't able to turn to see her face, but I felt her presence. It amazes me the bravery of children, those that would dabble in the unknown with challenges to one another's courage. Now that I'm 30, I've realized I still bear the scars and aches from a youth of accepting the dares of friends. Most notably, a misguided attempt at night tobogganing in an area I didn't know. But without those adventures into the unknown, I wouldn't be the human being I am today. Bloody Mary is so much a part of the zeitgeist of North America that if you ask just about anyone, they will definitely know one form of the ritual or another. Some will even carry with them the stories they heard from an older sibling, or friend of a friend, detailing how Mary was entrapped within the mirror, why she hates the living world, and the consequences of invoking her. Some may even say that they saw her. The ghost in the mirror is known by many names. Hell Mary, Mary Worth, Mary Worthington, Bloody Bones, and Bloody Mary... The list goes on and on, but these are the most common names used in summoning Bloody Mary. What follows is the legends that explain the origins of Bloody Mary. Usually one of these stories would be shared with the poor soul that was about to be unceremoniously shoved into a dark bathroom and dared to invoke her. Mary Worth Mary Worth lived on an old wagon road in Chicago during the Civil War. She owned a small farm and was thought to be a witch. Rumors spread that she would kidnap runaway slaves and chain them in her barn. Using the slaves, Mary would perform dark rituals. The local townsfolk eventually drew up the rage and courage to deal with Mary. Taking justice into their own hands, they formed a mob and captured her. The town burnt her at the stake. They said they buried her at St. Patrick's Cemetery. Decades after her death, a farmer and his wife bought the land and built a home 
to raise their family. They constructed a barn on the exact location Mary had hers. They knew the legend, but would not be scared by silly ghost stories. The farmer set about beginning his new life by clearing the fields. One day during his toil, he found a square stone. Thinking this was a stroke of luck, he removed the stone and placed it at the entrance to his home as a stepping stone. Hazardous events began to plague the couple. The farmer's wife would find herself locked in the barn or house. Cupboard doors would open and plates would crash to the floor. As the unexplained phenomenon continued, the farmer realized a Christian cemetery would not allow a witch to be buried on their grounds with their true and faithful flock. So more than likely, this was a lie that was spread to ease the minds of those that killed Mary. She was burned. Well, let's say this plainly, she was murdered on her farm and buried. And that the plain stone was a marker of Mary Worth's grave. The farmer tried in vain for years to find the spot he stole the stone from, but could never quite find the correct location. After years of torment, the house and barn burnt down. Arson was suspected. Bloody Mary This legend tells of a beautiful woman that lived alone in a tiny cottage. She sold herbal remedies to make a living. Her beauty made her a target of scorn from the townswomen. They were jealous and labeled her a witch. When pressed if she would ever take a husband, Mary would become shy and joke that she was ugly, never marry, and never have children. Young girls in the town began to disappear, one by one. The parents, distraught and angry, searched the town high and low, opening up every shop, every basement, every home to find them. Mary was questioned but denied any knowledge of the girls or their disappearance. A man from town was seen visiting Mary. The neighbors on high alert were suspicious. When interrogated, the man said he was going to Mary's cottage to trick her into a confession. It was a few days later when the daughter of the sawmiller rose out of bed and walked out of her house. The miller's wife was up nursing a toothache and saw her daughter leave. She asked her where she was going. No answer. She screamed at her to stop. No answer. The daughter was following an enchanted sound that only she could hear. The miller woke and ran outside, trying to physically stop his daughter, but each time she broke away and continued her slow and raptured walk out of town. The parents' yells woke the town, men and women poured into the street. A glow of not quite fire was seen at the tree line just at the edge of town. A group of men stealing themselves ran forward to find out what that eerie light was. They found Mary with a wand pointed at the miller's house on the far side of town. She glowed with an unearthly light. Hearing the men approach, she fled. The menfolk of the town formed a mob and went to her cottage. As they surrounded Mary, she cursed them with the curse of the chanter. The curse of the chanter causes young girls to chant her name, becoming a part of the ritual to summon Bloody Mary. At her trial, they discovered Mary was pregnant. She refused to name the father. The man that went to the cottage to visit Mary never came forward. It was never proven that they had any kind of relationship. She was then tried for adultery. 
Her sentence was nine months' humility to the town. As the time approached for the birth of Mary's child, the father was still a mystery. Mary began to say it was an immaculate conception. The minister declared it a child of Satan to be executed upon delivery. They made Mary watch the execution. Then she was tied down in front of a mirror and forced to see each woman of the town slash her face as punishment for the crimes of kidnapping their daughters. She died during the mutilation, her soul being trapped in the mirror as it left her body. As young women begin to spend more time in front of mirrors in their teenage years, brushing their hair or putting on makeup, the curse of the chanters begins to call to them. Be warned, if you call upon Bloody Mary, there could be dire consequences. The Boston Latin School was the first school opened in the New World. School legend is that you can still see Bloody Mary in the school bathrooms. She's standing in the mirror in a bloody dress wearing rusted chains about her neck and shoulders. A witch by the name of Bloody Mary was hung on Christmas Day, 1741. The crimes that Miss Bloodworth was accused of were making her neighbor's cows run dry and driving a young woman mad. The woman Mary was accused of driving mad committed suicide by throwing herself in a river and drowned. After her hanging, Mary would have been wrapped in chains. A tradition at the time to keep the ghost of a witch trapped in the earth, unable to bother the living. Which means for Mary Bloodsworth's spirit to be able to appear wearing the chains in defiance of the work of man. She must have been an extremely powerful soul. On the hill behind the school is a graveyard, with many old tombstones. A red, unmarked stone is said to be Mary's. People to this day leave small offerings for her of candy, dolls, and flowers. Some say that dark rituals still take place upon her grave, evidenced by the melted wax and discarded mirrors of people trying to summon her, and shadowy figures performing witchcraft in the dead of night. Mary Worth Mary Worth lived a very long time ago. She was very beautiful, but known to be quite vain. She spent hours in front of the mirror admiring her looks. One day, at the height of her beauty, she was in a terrible accident. Her face was disfigured. It was so horrific no one could bring themselves to look at her for more than a moment. She was forbidden from seeing her reflection. Her parents removed or covered the mirrors in their home. As days and weeks went by, Mary felt like she'd go crazy if she didn't see her face. Unable to fight the curiosity any longer, she waited until her parents went to sleep and crept into a room with a mirror. She removed the covering and let loose terrible screams and sobs at the mangled visage that looked back at her. She was so heartbroken that she entered the mirror so that she could find her old reflection. Mary Worth left a note next to the mirror that she vowed to disfigure anyone that went looking for her. This is a close variant of a modern urban legend of a woman named Mary who was in a horrific car accident. She will maul anyone that calls her to the mirror to see her destroyed face. 
There is a confusion as oral stories of the origins of Bloody Mary have been spread down through the ages. Some legends point to Queen Mary I. She was the first Queen Regent of England, born February 18, 1516. Her father divorced her mother and had Mary declared illegitimate. She was separated from her mother and forbidden from ever seeing her again. She went through bouts of melancholy and depression. Defying every odd, she had her illegitimacy overturned and was seated on the throne. Queen Mary married at 37 to a Prince Philip, who was not known to be an affectionate relationship. Again defying the odds, Queen Mary became pregnant. Queen Mary went into seclusion for the final months of her pregnancy. Gossip and rumors spread as the seclusion was extended. Her people began to speculate that she died in childbirth, that she bore a boy, or that Queen Mary was stricken with a massive tumor in her midsection. The truth was just as terrible. It would become known as the most famous case of phantom pregnancy, where someone wants to be pregnant so badly that the brain begins to trick the body. As her belly flattened, she believed that God was punishing her for failing to produce a child. To redeem herself, she sought to unify her people under one church, the Catholic Church. She executed an order which would become called the Mirian Persecutions. 240 men, 60 women, were sentenced as Protestant and burnt at the stake. It is believed this is where she got her name, Bloody Mary. More than likely, though, this is a confusion with another noblewoman from relatively the same time period, Elizabeth Bathroy, who would become known as the Blood Countess. Born in Transylvania to a rich noble family, she was beautiful but ill-tempered. At 15, she bore a child to a peasant man, and her family had it hidden away with a local woman to spare themselves embarrassment. A year later, she was married and gained notoriety as a great hostess but needlessly cruel, even sadistic, towards her peasants and servants. She took great pleasure in tormenting pretty girls. One of her favorite forms of amusement while punishing her servant girls was taught to her by her husband. They would place oiled paper between the toes of the offending girl and light them aflame. The young woman or child would kick around dramatically trying to get rid of the paper. This was called star-kicking. At 25, she felt her looks were beginning to fade. To preserve them, she began dabbling in dark arts. She took part in the sacrifice of white horses. Somewhere along the discovery and exploration of this double life, she found another sorceress, Anna de Vulia, who would only ever encourage her misbehavior and cruelty. The years went by and the march and wear of time continued. Elizabeth Bathroy was getting her hair brushed when a servant pulled too hard. As punishment, Elizabeth slashed her face with a pair of scissors, in the process spraying blood onto her hands. She felt that this brought back a revitalization to her skin. She shared this renewal with her friend Anna, who suggested the blood of virgins would keep her beauty and even reverse the ravages of time. Elizabeth had several conspirators that would gather girls, fatten them up, torture, bleed, and kill them. The blood would be collected and poured into a bathtub. Elizabeth would bathe in the blood at 4 a.m. The girls were so tightly bound that if their finger were pricked, it would spray blood. The most common pattern of torture was hot pokers in the mouth, bleeding, and beaten to death by whip. Other tortures included ironing their feet, 
pouring cold water on them naked in the snow, and forcing them to eat the flesh of other servant girls. The blood countess had a cage constructed with spikes along the floor. Servants would be jammed inside and forced to the middle with hot pokers. Their feet would be cut by the spikes and begin to bleed. Elizabeth would sit beneath the cage and have a shower of blood. A common belief among magical disciplines and the religious outlook on the supernatural is that magic has a price. So beauty and youth for beauty and youth. As time went on, Elizabeth believed her blood baths were no longer working, so she had to step up the power of her magic. After consultation with Anna Dravulia, they decided she needed to get noble virgins. She would offer to educate the girls on courtly manners, or offer them jobs as maids of honor to draw them in. As women of status began to go missing, the rumors of the blood countess were too dangerous to ignore. Now that it was their people going missing, the royalty sent out an investigator, Lord Palantine, with a group of soldiers. Within the castle, they discovered 80 bodies, but Elizabeth's own journals put the number closer to 650. She was arrested and walled up in her bedroom, with a small slot for air and another for food. Elizabeth Bathroy remained there until her death one year later. People have theorized this was not only an inspiration for Bloody Mary, but also Bram Stoker's Dracula. Today, Bloody Mary appears to individuals or groups who ritually invoke her name in an act of catoptromancy, repeating a chant of Bloody Mary into a mirror in a dimly lit or candlelit room to invoke her. Some traditions say it must be repeated between 3 and 13 times. She appears as a ghost, corpse, or witch. She can be friendly or evil. At times, she is seen covered in blood. The summoning rituals differ a little bit, but are based around similar themes. The incantations include Mary Worth, I stole your baby. I believe in Mary Worth. Bloody Mary, I killed your baby. Bloody Mary. Hell Mary. One ritual is that you stand in a dark bathroom illuminated by a single candle. You simply look into the mirror and chant Bloody Mary three times. A ghost will appear holding a dead baby. Other times, Bloody Mary promises to come after you. The baby imagery in the incantation is usually why Queen Mary is tied to the legend. An older tradition was that young women would darken their home, walk up their stairs backwards holding a candle in one hand and a hand mirror in the other. As they did, they were supposed to see an image of their future husband. If they see a skull, it was an omen that they will die before marriage. When Bloody Mary has been invoked, the person who had done so may have to endure the apparition screaming or cursing them. Well, that's if you're lucky. If Bloody Mary was truly displeased, she may scratch out your eyes, drink your blood, or steal your soul and trap you in the mirror with her. If you invoke the name of Hell Mary... You're calling to Satan, not Bloody Mary, and we'll see a horned figure appear. 
Ketoptromancy is a very old technique that is a form of divination that uses a mirror. At the Temple of Circes at Patras, there was a fountain separated from the temple by a wall. It was an oracle for the sick. The sick person would let down a mirror suspended by a thread till its base touched the surface of the water, having first prayed to the goddess and offered incense. Then looking into the mirror, the sick person would see the vestige of death and recovery according to the face that appeared. Fresh and healthy meant recovery. A skull indicated death. Some catoptromancy uses a very old technique where the mirror is turned towards the moon in order to catch the lunar rays. The sought-after answers were then thought to appear in characters of blood on the face of the reflection of the moon. This is a very ancient form of crystal gazing, and the fact that mirrors were used for divination partly explains why it's considered bad luck to break one. Like in Japan, Akomanto, meaning red cape, is a malicious spirit that haunts public and school toilets. It is said that red cape was so handsome in life, he was constantly hounded by admirers. It was so terrible that in the afterlife, he chooses to wear a mask to cover his face. As red cape approaches the stall door, he will ask if you want red paper or blue paper. If you answer red, you will be sliced apart till your clothes are stained red. If you answer blue, you'll be strangled until your face is blue. If you answer yellow, you will have your face forced into the toilet that had just been used. But you will survive the drowning. Any attempt to trick Red Cape and choose any other color will result in being dragged to the netherworld. If you decline any paper, he will depart. A duck walk to the next stall is a small price to pay for your life and your soul. In certain districts of Japan, Akomanto is said to offer you a cape. If you ask for the red cape, your flesh will be removed from your back, resembling a cape. If you choose blue, all your blood will be drained from your body. And again, if you decline, red cape will depart. Another Japanese tradition is Hanako-san, or Tori no Hanako-san, which translates to Hanako of the Toilet. She is said to be the spirit of a young girl who haunts school bathrooms. Hanako-san will appear when someone shouts her name. Some say she is the ghost of a girl killed during a World War II raid. Others say she was murdered by a psychotic parent. This is more of a childhood game where people are dared to follow the directions and evoke Hanako-san as a test of courage. You're supposed to go to the third stall in the girl's bathroom on the third floor. Knock three times before asking, Are you there, Hanako-san? If she is present, she will answer, I am here. If they are brave, the child will enter the stall. There will be a small girl in a red skirt. In an interesting twist in the Yagmata prefecture, instead of a young girl, there would be a three-headed lizard who mimics a girl's voice. If you enter the lizard will eat you. One thing that I found funny or terrifying during my research was that school kids would play this as a hazing game on new students, similar to Bloody Mary. What struck me that 
this wouldn't be a very hard prank to pull off. A few people dropping stories of the ritual, and how everyone else has been brave enough to do this, would encourage the new student to try to prove themselves. So while you're convincing the target to play, you get another girl to hide in the stall and wait for the new student to prove her mettle and knock on the door. Charlie Charlie. In 2015, a Dominican newscast broadcast an alarmist warning to parents that children in school were communing with ghosts or even demonic forces using the Charlie Charlie game. It was unintentionally funny and found its way onto YouTube. As the broadcast gained popularity, it made its way onto Twitter, which evolved into a hashtag challenge. The hashtag Charlie Charlie challenge. To play Charlie Charlie, there are six simple steps. Step one, draw a cross on a piece of paper. Step two, write yes in two of the quadrants and no in two of the other. Step three, place two pencils on the axis of the page grid, overlapping them in the middle. Step four, ask Charlie Charlie, are you there? Or Charlie Charlie, can we play? Step five, ask your question. When a question is asked, the pencils will shift towards the answer. Step six, always, always remember to say goodbye to Charlie. It's said that if you forget to say goodbye to Charlie, he may stick around for a while. Charlie would be haunting his victims, tormenting them for days. Charlie may be the ghost of a young boy or a demon native to Mexico. Popular in Spain and Hispanic America, this game has a very long history. Mostly with teenage girls that wanted to know which boys in their class liked them. It's an evolution of Diego de la Lapricia, translated to paper game. During the height of its virality, the hashtag was posted over 2 million times, with hundreds if not thousands of videos of people trying to speak with Charlie. The scientific explanation for Charlie Charlie is that as you're asking your question, your breath gently grazes the pencils and that's what makes them shift one way or the other. Um, but as the popularity of the game rose, Hysteria did as well. Three uh, Fijian teachers were arrested and taken to a police station for questioning over allegations they forced students to play the game. All charges were eventually dropped. In May of 2015, four teenagers were sent to hospital in Colombia with a diagnosis of Hysteria. Joseph Laycock, a professor of religious studies at Texas State University, argued Christian critics reframe the game as satanic almost immediately due to their desire to claim a monopoly on wholesome encounters with the supernatural. Father Stephen McCarthy warned his students in a Pennsylvania Catholic high school that there's no such thing as innocently playing with demons. The problem with opening yourself up to demonic activity is that it opens a window of possibilities which is not easily closed. Please be sure not to participate and encourage others to avoid participation as well. Father Jose Antonio Forti warns that some spirits that are not at the root of this game may enter and stick around for a while. Though possession is unlikely, demonic obsession is far more possible. Possession is when an evil spirit assumes control of a person from within. Obsession involves a devil externally attacking or harassing a person. 
Opening the door to the occult will allow for beginner problems ahead. It will allow for spirits to communicate more frequently, widening the door for demonic suffering later. Seeing the reaction to the Charlie Charlie game, I decided to go on a Catholic faith forum to see what they thought about Bloody Mary. I immediately found a question from a user named Hemiolymph. Her question was, I need some advice regarding my 10-year-old and her friends seem to be going through a paranormal phrase where they keep challenging each other to do the Bloody Mary game in the mirror and maybe other games. I was very upset when I first found out and told her not to participate in it and to walk away if they talk about it. But months later, I see in her messages to her friends that they're talking about lights flickering. And today, my 10-year-old told my 4-year-old Bloody Mary was chasing her. So what now? I can't find any resources to show my daughter on church teaching. And also, do I make her confess this during next confession? I am a convert of less than three years, so this is new to me navigating the faith as a parent. Thank you. Answers to this question ranged anywhere from Nip that in the bud. This is the work of Satan and can easily get out of hand. Talk to your priest if you need to be. Have him talk to her. Do not under any circumstance let her continue this. It is not harmless. This door is already open and needs to be shut ASAP. I think that the best way to handle this is to tell her Bloody Mary is Satan and that by messing with the occult, she has placed herself under the devil. Explain that it is a mortal sin to dabble in the occult, and occult games or witchcraft. Maybe schedule an appointment with a priest to have a talk with her, and if she decides to confess her sins to the priest, he is there to do so. Have your house blessed. My eldest daughter is terrified of Bloody Mary, and has never and will never mess around with this game. The neighborhood kids are into that stuff. 2. I agree with those that consider this as a possible gateway to the occult. But even if it is not, it possesses another danger that eventually leads to enslavement. I think I'd point out to her that thrill-seeking for the sake of thrill-seeking is a habit that leads to people doing very foolish things that eventually harm themselves and others. Encourage her to do things for enjoyment, not for thrills. Why? Because you can enjoy this activity or that for year after year after year. Gaining skills and building memories with your friends, thrill-seeking, however, is a different matter. Thrills die off when the novelty of the experience dies off. So the thrill-seeking has to keep ramping up and ramping up to keep getting the thrill. This inevitably leads to behaviors that are both dangerous and, well, stupid. Because of the nature of how thrills impact our brains, it also leads to addictions. If it takes a thrill or novelty to keep you from getting bored, you are probably on a road that is going to come to a bad end. If that is the way your brain is wired, you have to be very wise about how you handle yourself. The main point, however, is that the pursuit of novelty for the sake of novelty or thrills for the sake of thrills are going to lead to enslavement to habits that are dangerous, wasteful, or both. An inordinate love of novelty and thrills always leads to a downward spiral of diminishing returns. Example, contrast choosing clothing for the sake of dressing in a way that is becoming versus choosing clothing for the sake of always being fashionable as possible. The latter leads to 
discarding perfectly becoming clothing because it's not trendy enough. This is what I mean by the excessive pursuit of novelty being wasteful. The second thing I would tell her is that the habit of scaring other people, like her four-year-old sister, for fun is a form of cruelty. Trying to pass cruelties off as acceptable because they're committed for fun doesn't cut it. No, we do not act in ways that are cruel for fun. This form of teasing her little sister is not funny and needs to stop. Period. that mirrors or portals between this world and the realm of the spirits shows up in other beliefs, namely those surrounding funerals. It was a common practice to cover the mirrors in a home where death had occurred. Before the body was taken for burial, the mirrors would remain covered because if the departed caught a glimpse of themselves, they would remain trapped in the house, with the mirror containing their spirit. An explanation of why some people see the face or skull in the mirror is Troxler's fading. It's an optical illusion affecting visual perception. When someone fixates on a particular spot for a short period of time, an unchanging stimulus away from the fixation point will fade away and disappear. So for a person in a bathroom standing in front of a mirror in a dim room, things would begin to fade from your perception until your brain fills in the blanks with your imagination like the face of the woman you were just told a spooky story about. Moisten rim of glass with pickle juice. Salt the rim. In a pitcher, one and a half cups of Clamato juice. One quarter cup of vodka. Two tablespoons of pickle juice. One tablespoon of Worcestershire sauce. Quarter teaspoon of pepper. Quarter teaspoon of celery salt. Ice cubes. Two celery ribs. Two pepperoni meat sticks. Two pickle spears. And if you want to ruin it, olives. But if I had to choose, this is my favorite version of Bloody Mary. Although the stories vary in the telling, the consistencies in Bloody Mary's legends are that an independent woman is seen as a threat and must be destroyed by the town she quietly lives in. Because Mary owns land, whether that's a small farm or cottage, and does not seek a man to control her holdings, she must be in league with the devil. The legend with Mary being a herbalist stuck with me while writing this episode. History hasn't been kind to female protectors especially if they're self-reliant, intelligent outsiders. She was a modest human being that wanted to live her own life, helping people with medicine from the earth. I couldn't help but feel like something was off in the telling. What if she was informed on something that was beyond the scope of what the rational world could explain? A danger was coming after the town that reached out to steal their daughters. So imagine for a moment. As Mary stood on the edge of town trying to dispel the incantation drawing the girl away, she was actively sacrificing her life for another. For the town. Mary was alive during the burning times. The age when witches were still being burned at the stake. 
She knew the town was under attack and on high alert. She knew they were looking for a scapegoat, yet she stood forward. When they came for her, this powerful and evil witch, instead of striking them dead, instead of salting the earth, or summoning a demon, she cursed them with having to tell her story. A curse that would outlast the attitudes and perceptions of her time, and maybe down the line, people might hear her story a little different. Is that if you call to her, she appears in the mirror, and all you get is your eyes scratched out, then what's the point? What's gained? I guess the only reason to explain why anybody ever does Bloody Mary is because peer pressure. But if you're going to get someone to participate in this game, what's the carrot? What's the reward that they would expect? I asked family and friends how they would trick someone into playing the Bloody Mary game. My older brother responded that he would never do that to his sons. So of course I had to press the point and ask then, if we were still kids, how would you trick me? His response was immediate. He would hide a Bluetooth speaker somewhere in the bathroom, maybe in the shower or behind the mirror, ideally if there was a drop-down ceiling in the roof. He would tell me some version of the tale, but tell me that if I was kind to Bloody Mary, she will answer one question. When I entered the bathroom, using some kind of voice-altering software, he'd make it sound as if it was a demon or a small girl answering me. What a good man. He would never do that to his sons, but his little brother? Mm, probably. I'd like to thank Richard Tower for the use of his title photo. Please take some time and check out Richard's work on his website, richardtower.ca. If you enjoyed this show, please rate and review on iTunes, and if you have a story and you'd like to reach out, you can email me at beardandboard at gmail.com. I hope you have a great night. Don't forget to cover the mirrors and owl at the moon. Hoot hoot. <laughs>